chapter 1. Deuteronomy chapter 1. Now we are continuing with this, well I guess it's become not just a theme, a little bit of a series in the, in the sense, but I want to minister as the Lord has led me and has spoken to my heart in relation to the issues of Christian maturity or the fullness of the blessing or the promised land, perfection as we looked at last week and all the various um, interchangeable uh, uh, expressions that we find in the Bible that relate to God's plan and purpose for us. And so, I must say that there is a bit of a little bit of a background to what I'm going to preach this morning and, um, uh, and how the Lord led me to what I want to speak about. But uh, nevertheless, in light of all of that, there's one thing that I can confidently stand here and say, I feel divinely led and inspired of God to preach the message that I want to preach to you this morning. Because it has a divine revelation for us. It has divine insight as to the ways of God and the will of God and how God works to perfect us, to bring us into that fullness, to cause us to inherit the promised land. It's an inheritance that we've received but doesn't mean we've yet possessed it. And that promised land is Christ in him. All that he is, Christ is all in all. He is the foundation, he is the capstone, praise the Lord. Christ and Christ and Christ, being conformed in him and being having Christ formed in us is all that we find in the teachings of the scripture. And so in light of that, we have also made emphasis as we've kind of tracked along this on the divine and the human dimensions that are associated. I had a bit of a discussion last week with Brother James uh, in relation to this because you'll pick up as, we, as we've been going along in the various scriptures and the various things that we've looked at. Every time Paul talks about something that relates to human responsibility, he, within the same verse or verses in its context, he always brings out the, the fact of the divine aspect that is, is first and foremost associated and enables such a human response or activity or anything for that matter because it always begins with the divine. And so those two are working together to ultimately fulfil the plan and purpose of God and in this case as it relates to us on going on to Christian maturity in Christ. And so what I want to look at this morning is I want to look at this place in the Bible known as Kadesh Barnea. Kadesh Barnea. You no doubt have read about it, you might be familiar with it, you might even be aware of some of the things that it teaches. But it, for me, in my mind, it clearly highlights and is relevant to the very issues that we have been considering because the context of Kadesh Barnea in relation to the children of Israel teaches a lesson in relation to the inheritance of the promised land. And so there is clearly a lesson for us to learn. There, is, there are principles that are associated with the children of Israel and their experience and how they relate to the Christian life. And so if there's anything that the, the issue of Kadesh Barnea teaches us this morning, it is this and it relates to human responsibility. 
as one man said, Kadeshvaniya is a place of decision. A place of decision. Because it's at Kadeshvaniya, as we will see, that the choices that we make right there and then will have a determining factor on where and how far we go in the Lord. Okay? There's a, it's, there is a critical aspect to this, as we will see. And so we're going to make that emphasis this morning on the human dimension. But in saying that, let me again state that there is undoubtedly the backdrop of all of this is you must not lose sight of the divine dimension because even though they are at Kadesh and there is a lesson to be learned at Kadesh, we understand it's according to Romans, I mean, sorry, Exodus chapter 6 in verse 6 where God speaks and he says, I will bring you out of Egypt. And he says, I will bring you in to the promised land. And so we have that written for us. And so here it is, it's God that brings out of Egypt. And it's God that's going to bring the children of Israel into the promised land. But like in the same manner, you see, God took them out of Egypt by way of a miracle, he, 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 he uh, you know, all that all that took place, and ultimately, even as they came out, and uh, God depa- uh, parted the Red Sea. I mean, God did it, but they still had to walk through, didn't they? They still had to walk through it. So there is that, even as minute as it may be, there is a human dimension that is associated with that. And so too when it comes to saying God says, I'm going to bring you into the promised land, uh, here Kadesh Barnea teaches us something about the human response and responsibility that is associated in, for us to work with God in his ultimate plan and purpose for our lives. And so it's at Kadesh that we will find it relates to us personally as the Lord would speak to us this morning. So let's read from the book of Deuteronomy. And we want to read from verse number 19. The Bible says that concerning the children of Israel, so we departed from Horeb and went through all that great and terrible wilderness which you saw on the way to the mountains of the Amorites. As the Lord our God had commanded us, then we came to Kadesh Barnea. And I said to you, you have come to the mountains of the Amorites which the Lord our God is giving us. Look, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it. As the Lord God of your fathers has spoken to you, do not fear or be discouraged. And every one of you came near to me and said, Let us send men before us and let them search out the land for us and bring back word to us of the way by which we should go up and of the cities into which we shall come. Then uh, the plan pleased me well. So I took twelve of your men, one from each tribe, and they departed and went up into the mountains and came to the valley of Eshcol and spied it out. Then they took some of the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it down to us. And they brought back word to us saying, It is good, it is a good land which the Lord our God is giving us. Nevertheless, You would not go up but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you complained in your tents and said, Because the Lord hates us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. We'll leave it there. 
You see, this is interesting because clearly we find that Kadesh Barnea was a place of decision for the children of Israel. It, and uh, what makes Kadesh Barnea so significant is its position because it was really the gateway to the promised land. God had brought them out of Egypt with a mighty hand. He had led them through the wilderness in an indirect way, which we'll consider that as well. And then he brings them uh, to Kadesh Barnea. It is the gateway to the promised land. It is from here that they will venture down to possess their inheritance that God is giving them. But it is right at the precipice of Kadesh Barnea, right at the gateway of their inheritance that they fail and they fall short terribly before the Lord. And so we know the story and, uh, uh, and what makes it so significant is that the, the events of this particular instance of Kadesh Barnea changed the course of a whole generation, didn't it? It changed a course of, the, of a whole generation whom for 40 years until the, uh, they had to wait until the next generation possessed the land and God said not even that generation would not enter it. And so we understand this according to the, the teaching in the Old Testament. Also we know that what we've just read in our text is a summary of the events of, 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 of Numbers chapter 13 and chapter 14, where Moses, uh, isn't it interesting, because in, in, um, in Numbers it says, and the Lord commanded Moses and they got the spies. Here it says that they approached Moses and said, let's send spies and it pleased them to do so. And so it kind of gives you a little bit more of an insight to the, uh, the, what was going on there. And so, uh, because in, in Deuteronomy it talks about it was... Uh, primarily uh, uh, an idea that they possessed as such and that it pleased Moses as well and so the Lord obviously in his permissive will incorporated it and allowed it to, for them to spy it out but God's command was just go in and get it but no, they just got to double check you know, just like Gideon, just with the fleece just got to make sure <clears throat> and so we understand that the 12 spies go in and they see the giants of the land and, and uh, the fortified cities and they are, uh, 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 there's 10 of those 12 that are utterly, utterly in despair and they come back and they share a negative report amongst the children of Israel and say, oh my gosh, you don't understand what it's like there. There's giants in the land, there's fortified cities. I mean, it is from, uh, from a human perspective, how are we going to possess that? And they began to uh, speak forth to the children of Israel. And, uh, and they began to feed off the, the, the unbelief and the negativity and the words uh, of, uh, of unbelief that they were speaking. And you know that Joshua and Caleb, they were the two that continued to believe God and said, hey, listen, God said it's ours. So therefore, forget what you see, forget those things. God said, I'm going to give it to you. And if God says, it's going, I'm going to give it to you, if God says, I'm going to bring you in there, if God says it's yours, then all we have to do is believe him. Just trust him. And we know the story. The children of Israel chose to believe the ten spies 
rather than Joshua and the other ten, rather than the other two and uh, it was catastrophic. It was catastrophic. They began to complain in Numbers 14 before the Lord and they said, oh, that we had died back in Egypt. And they began to complain and they began to whine and they, uh, they said, oh, that we had died in this wilderness. Oh, that we had died on the other side of the sea. Oh, why have, we, have you brought us to this place, O oh Lord? I mean, isn't it interesting that uh, it says here in our text in verse um, uh, 27, he says, uh, they said, because the Lord hates us. How did they get to that place? They're saying God hates us. They had reasoned in their mind that somehow God hates them. And so this is the the response. They said, uh, oh, our children will be victims. Oh, look at what the Lord has done. What a meanie he is. What a nasty, nasty uh, person God is. And so the question I want to put to us, one of the questions I want to put to you is, is were they really victims? Because God had said, well, I'm going to bring in your children who you said will be victims. I'm going to bring them in to possess the land, but you're not going to, you're not going to access it or enter it whatsoever. You see, one of the things that you know, because they did have a victim mentality, because they were slaves in, in Egypt, God was very patient with them as he brought them out, didn't he? Because they complained on numerous occasions for whether it was for food, whether it was for water, or whatever the situation was, and the Lord provided. He provided in his grace, and he was tolerant of their complaining. But you see, not, in this, not a Kadesh, he wasn't. Enough was enough. And so, uh, this issue of a victim mentality can be quite destructive to, uh, as it was to the children of Israel, as it is to Christians. I have seen this over the years where people see themselves, uh, and, and don't get me wrong, there are instances where people genuinely are victims. Things happen. But what I'm saying is, is when we come into the Lord and when the Lord begins to work and the Lord brings us along the path that he wants to lead us in, there comes a time where we're going to have to believe God. If you want to go see the psychologist, they'll listen to your victim story. But if you're going to go on in God, God's going to bring you to a point where he wants to bring healing and wholeness. He wants you to, bring, he wants you to go forward and bring you on into fullness and healing in him. But you see, we sometimes thought the purposes of God because of our own complaining and our own unbelief. And Israel has gotten to the point where they're saying, God hates us. You see... They weren't victims. The reality is, is that at Kadesh Barnea, they made a choice. Okay? At Kadesh Barnea, they made a choice. And it was a decision, it was a refusal to believe God and to trust what God has said and to possess, to go forward and possess the land as God had instructed them to. Now, how did God view it? How did God... They said we're victims. They said God hates us. They said, oh, well, you don't understand. Look at what the Lord's done to us. Look at why has this happened. And yet God summarises in our text in verse 26. says, Nevertheless, you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. So, God's perspective on this is that they rebelled against him. 
God's uh, summary of the events is not that they were victims as such, but rather they were the perpetrators in which they refused to believe God and they rebelled against God at Kadesh Barnea. You see, even in the events of Numbers chapter 13 and 14, you can read it for yourself. When the children of Israel are complaining, uh, uh, Joshua and Caleb are appealing to the people and they're pleading with them and they say, don't rebel against the Lord. Don't rebel against the Lord. They understood it for what it was at that moment of time and they, and they were grieved and they pleaded with their brethren and said, don't rebel against him. Just trust him. He said yes. He said it's ours. But no, they complained and they wanted to take up stones and stone them. See, when our heart gets twisted, we get angry at the wrong people, don't we? We can. Those that want to help us, those that want to do us good. You might say, oh, maybe you don't understand that, but when you're a pastor, you'll understand. <laughs> this happens. You see, the Bible uses the word rebellion. They were disobedient to God. And that decision that they made on that day changed the course for a whole generation who for 40 years dwelled in the wilderness and died in the wilderness, never to taste the fullness of God's blessing for them. You see, the the reality is, is that Israel faced a major crisis at Kadesh Barnea. They faced a major crisis. There was a test and they failed miserably before the Lord. And so in light of that whole experience, the question then is, well, then how does it relate to us? How does it relate to you and I? Because the Bible clearly teaches us in a number of instances in the Scriptures and in the New Testament where in 1 Corinthians 10 it talks about Israel and these things are written for our admonition. They are there to instruct us. They're there to warn us. They're there to teach us. About the, uh, to understand the, the, the dynamics of the, of, a, of the Christian life. And so we can learn from these stories. They, there are spiritual lessons here. I'm not, you know, in teaching this Old Testament story, it's not legalism, it's not, you know, um, you know about bringing people under some, the Old Covenant, it's nothing of the sort. I am highlighting and drawing upon the scriptures to, to, to uh, teach us spiritual truths, just as the Bible says. And so in Hebrews as well, chapter 3 and 4, we find that the writer there is referring to Israel's experience in the Kadesh Barnea moment and drawing parallels from that to the Christian, to the believer. Though they are Hebrew Christians, uh, obviously that's why it's being done because they should understand these concepts. But not so much as how they relate to the old covenant but how they relate to the new And so we find that truly it does have a spiritual counterpart and more than that, I would submit to us this morning that there is is such an issue as Christians who dwell in the wilderness. Christians who dwell in the wilderness. It's not just an Old Testament concept. That word uh, Kadesh means to be consecrated and yet the word Barnea means to be a desert of wandering. And so even the consecrated Christian, child of God, can still fail to enter the promised land, the fullness of God's blessing for their life. And so, yes, they're consecrated, they're at Kadesh, but they are still wilderness dwellers. 
They're still wandering in the desert. And this can happen. I know it by experience in my own life and I have no doubt that we all to some degree, as we'll see, can relate to this because there's also a legitimate aspect to it. You see, what I understand is that there is this, there is a legitimate um, wilderness experience. For example, if you go to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 1, when God took them out of, uh, uh, through the Red Sea out of Egypt, we know that he didn't bring them directly to Kadesh Barnea. He could have done that, but it, they went through and down and around through the wilderness and went through an 11-day journey. It says it is 11 days' journey from Horeb by way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. What should have been an 11-day journey through the wilderness turned out for them to be a 40-year experience. So, can you see there is a legitimate wilderness experience in the plan and purpose of God for us, but then there is what I call the illegitimate wilderness experience for the Christian who's wandering in the desert, who's wandering in the wilderness when they ought not to be living there. They ought, to have in, they ought to have been perfected in Christ. They ought to have gone on to maturity. They ought to be dwelling in the fullness of the land. They need to be feeding on the faithfulness of God, being complete in Him. But yet they, they are not at that place. And you see this because you, you can, I've seen it over years where you meet Christians and they've uh, been Christians for 20 years and yet you can see a, such a level of spiritual immaturity and you go, that something's not right there. You say, oh, that's judging. Yeah, I'm, I'm making it, I'm discerning. Exactly. And that's part of, the, of, of us understanding the dynamics we're here to serve. We're not here to judge in the sense of, you know, to be disdaining but at the same time we have to have our wits about us. We have to understand certain various dynamics of how the kingdom of God operates. But let me say this, God will bring every believer, spiritually speaking, to Kadesh Barnea. And at a point, at a moment in time, and it might not just be once, for various reasons, but we have to choose. We have to make a decision. We have to decide whether we're going to remain in a place of defeat and discouragement or whether we're going to believe God and go on. And, and, and obtain the fullness of our inheritance in Christ. I'm talking about a decision, a choice between victory and defeat, uh, de, uh, between spiritual immaturity and spiritual maturity. There are choices that are involved in this. They're not automatic. It doesn't just happen. Okay? And I, we need to understand that. And I've unfortunately... Uh, seen and observed that there are uh, some, if not many, Christians that can go through their Christian lives dwelling in the wilderness. As a pastor, I, this is something that I've, I have observed over the years. You know, this is something that I've, I've learned too because, I mean, I've learned it from my own experience, first and foremost, but then as a pastor, I've also, uh, as a young pastor growing into, in the ministry, I've, I've learned this lesson because I remember counselling people and, and ministering to them and showing them the Word of God and teaching them the Word of God and showing them a scripture that's relevant to their circumstance and their situation that will really help them. And uh, I've, I've, I've poured out my heart to, to, to minister into their situation and being so convinced that if uh, this is the key to their deliverance, 
This is the key to their, to their healing. This will change their lives. And yet, as I've gone from that, and as days and weeks and sometimes months have passed, and you think, wait a minute, what's happening here? You know, they haven't, it hasn't worked out as it should have, as God would have it to. Why is this happening? And I would see uh, people get to a point where I saw them stuck in the same rut, whether it was month after month or year after year, and it was like something's not right here. See, the gospel works, folks. God does not fail. And I used to say, Lord, what is it? Why is it so? I, I was so sure that this would be the key factor. I'm so sure that if the, this would just bring that dimension of change and transformation. And then the Lord showed me and he taught me that, Gary, this is what it comes down to. It's an issue of faith. It is the issue of faith. You see, I can encourage, I can inspire, I can teach, but at the end of the day, as much as I can lead a horse to water, I can't make them drink. And I began to realise that the issue at hand was the issue of faith and also, what I also saw is that some, even though they were victims, they were victims to the point where they, there were certain issues that work in their lives, as time progressed and over the longevity of time, they were a victim to their own stubborn hearts. Because they, what I realised is, that, wait a minute, they're choosing not to believe God. They're not putting faith in the promises of God. They're not laying a hold for themselves of God's power in their lives. And I realised that the issue was an issue of disobedience or as the Bible uses the word rebellion. They refuse to believe God. And then I realised I can't. I, I, even my, I, I have my role to play. I began to realise my limitations. I can't solve everybody's problems. God can and I can give the counsel of God but even that in and of itself is no guarantee because the person has to lay hold of that for themselves and I began to see that. And so I learned that they were, there was a refusal to believe God, a refusal to obey God and what I learned was a Christian who wanders over the longevity of time in the wilderness is a disobedient Christian. Now you might say, that's a harsh statement to make, Pastor Gary. And I do, it is a harsh statement. But the truth is, from my understanding of Scripture and my experience, that there is a truth clearly that is relevant to what we're talking about. You see... That's why we find in the book of Hebrews various exhortations where we looked at one of those last week where it says, let us go on to perfection. See, there's a human element that is associated with the divine working of God. Let us go on to perfection. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11, it's talking about <coughs> um, uh, the, the rest of God that is through faith in Christ and Christ being our rest that we are to embrace and enter into and yet Paul says in first chapter 4 verse 11, he says, let us labour therefore to enter into that rest. How can you labour to enter into rest? 
You see, because in, in, in the sense, and it talks about in the context of verse 11, if you go on, uh, it, is, is it up there? Actually, uh, can you bring it up? I won't turn there. It says, uh, verse 11, Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall to the same example of disobedience. And so, there it is. That's where it lies down to. And, uh, and, so, uh, and then it talks about, in the verses that follow, uh, follow that, it talks about the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. And in, meaning the word of God discovers the spiritual condition of our hearts. Because you know what? The Word of God's like a mirror and as you read it and as you hear it preached and taught, it exposes our hearts, doesn't it? It, gets, it shows us who we are. It shows us where we're falling short, where the fault is and, and it enables us and ministers to bring healing and wholeness so we can, we can obey, we can repent or whatever it is that the Lord will require of us. But you see, let us go on. Let us. We have a responsibility. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 or 24. In the book of Hebrews, I've said this before, but in relation to warnings when I spoke about it last week where nine times in the book of Hebrews you find the word lest, lest, the warnings. Then there's 13 occasions where you find the word let us, let us, the exhortation. So it's in one of these is in chapter 10 verse 24 and 25 where it says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another as so much more as you see the day approaching. One of the things I've also learnt, because this is what we're instructed to do, it's important, you know, part of dwelling in the land is about, is about fellowship with God's people. It's about being in the house of God. It's about congregating in the local assembly. It's about being committed to and faithful to the local assembly. And one of the things that I have learned, again, I just say this as an observation, but when I see people who are isolated from the house of God, I, I, what I have also learned, and, and, and I can say this generally speaking, is what you find is that someone is wandering in the desert. We're talking about a wilderness dweller. They're in a wilderness because there's, other than some legitimate reason why you can't be in the house of God, you need to be in the house of God. You need to, we should be such joy and even when you're at your worst, even when you're feeling spiritually defeated or overwhelmed that, and every part of you says, I just, I can't go, that's when you need to go. That's when you need to be amongst the brethren. That's when you need to hear the word of God. Put yourself in a position where God can speak to you and minister. You know, like I said, there were a lot of there were a number of events that led up to me writing this particular message, and because of that, I was very mindful of a number of things. And as I began to write this message, my phone rang, and I tell you this as I was writing. And in that phone call, a person that I hadn't seen for a number of years, who I pastored for a period of time when I was in Greensboro, rang me up, and to my shock they began just to abuse me and say all kinds of obscenities and just go on and blame me for their spiritual condition and, and there was a whole array of accusations that were being levelled at me and, and, you know, and so forth and obviously I won't go into all those details but it was very, very aggressive 
And it was like, it was just a shock and I thought to myself, you know what, what I, this is a, the, an exact example of what I'm going to prepare my message on. Not as only somebody who is dwelling in the wilderness, but you see in the wilderness, this is where you can become bitter and defiled. And so, I was dealing with someone who had become extremely bitter and defiled and was venting all of that and blaming me. And I just said to this dear brother, I haven't pastored you for 10 years. Why is it that you're not whole in the Lord? can't be my fault. True? If you've been going to churches and you've been visiting churches and now you're in this state after 10 years of not being under my ministry, how can I be held liable for your spiritual condition now? I would say that the failure is not me, nor is it God. I would say the failure is you. You have failed to believe God and trust God. That's a harsh word, isn't it? But it's the truth. We're dealing with rebellion. You see, what we're dealing with is a serious and sober lesson that relates to Kadesh Barnea. Listen to Hebrews again, chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. So, therefore, it's possible to come short. If you're in that rest in the Lord and you're dwelling in the land, God bless you. Praise God. That's where we want you to be. But, you see, the writer is very conscious of the fact that there might be those that have come short of it. And he says, let us fear. So, what kind of fear are we talking about? Well, I'm talking about the fear of, a healthy fear of God that brings us into that place. You see, one man said, though I, <coughs> I fear God, I'm not scared of him. You see, I'm talking about a healthy fear of God, not, the, not to be scared of God, you know, that is, because sometimes that motivates people that fear, and it's an unhealthy fear that, that doesn't benefit the soul. But, it goes on to say in verse 2, it says, For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, that's talking about Israel, but the word which they heard they did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. Mixed with faith in those who heard it. That was the failure. You see, this is why I consider the issues that I'm dealing with this morning of critical importance in the context of what we're dealing with. That's why we looked at last week where Paul says, I didn't cease to warn you with, with tears, day and night, with tears. Because, because even it's, there is a huge responsibility for those that are involved in, 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 and called into the ministry to facilitate and, uh, and teach and to minister, uh, to bring people to maturity in Christ as part of the function of the body. And we all have a responsibility, mind you, but I'm just talking in, in the context of pastoring and teaching. That, that, that weighs heavily upon us. And yes, I, I know I've made failures in the past. I don't stand here as one that's perfected, but I stand here as one who has sought the Lord and the Lord has, has taught me and is continuing to teach me. You see, Kadesh Barnea is a perfect example of some of the things we're considering in relation to the promised land and the fullness of God for his people. 
Romans 8 is the promised land. Next week I'm going to touch upon some of these things and I won't go into it now but you can see where God wants to bring us and you read the book of Romans and its progressive nature and then it brings us to chapter 8 and I tell you what a wonderful, glorious understanding and revelation it brings. But I want to just focus with you lastly on leaving Kadesh Barnea because you see it's part of the process, it's part of the plan, it's part of the path if you want to call it to the promised land and each of us will pass through there. That's why I said to you there is a legitimate wilderness experience. When you become a Christian we rejoice in the grace of God, we we are so filled with just having tasted and seen that the Lord is good, we're forgiven of our sins, we're rejoicing but as you serve the Lord and as you journey on the Christian life you begin to realise, why am I feeling dry? Why am I going through this? Why am I experiencing that? And then you begin to realise and identify with the ways of God. And so there is a legitimate wilderness experience where God brings us through various trials in order to teach us, in order to transform us, in order to bring us into the promised land. That's why he brings us through these things. It's because ultimately he causes these things to surface in our lives so that that he can change us, he can heal us or whatever the case may be because he wants to bless us. He wants to bless us in abundance. And so whom the Lord loves he chastens. And it's understanding that But see, the the issue is, will we go forward? Will we make the right choices? Will we obey God? Because one of the things that I've realised in my life, and I'm sure to some degree in yours, is if, have you ever felt like you keep coming back to the same point and you're going around in circles? Have you ever been in that that place where it's like, uh, uh, we're here, I think we're dealing with it, and then all of a sudden we just go around and we come back to the same spot again? Because we're failing to learn the lesson. So the Lord in his grace, he brings us back and he brings us back until we yield, until we get it and we say, okay, Lord. And we yield and we obey and we we do what God wants us to do. See, this is the reality of what we're dealing with. And let me conclude by saying this as we touch upon these things. I want to just look at it with you briefly We're not to go forward in our own strength. Even though there is a human dimension to this, you must understand, God said, I will bring you out, I will bring you in. And as as Christians, thank God we're not left to our own devices. Thank God that it's not down to the power of the will. As I said um, uh, recently to one brother, we were just having a conversation and I said, I, I don't want to preach about the power of the will. I want to preach about the empowering of the will. And it's important that we understand that we are dealing with an empowering of God that enables us to do what God wants us to do because we know in and of ourselves we can't. Sometimes we can't bring ourselves to make those choices. We feel as though we're in bondage. We need God's power. And that's exactly what God has provided. That's why Paul says in our text last week, according to his power that works in me mightily. And that's the power of God, the dynamic miracle power of God that can change your life, that can change your circumstances. You think it's always going to be the same. No, it's not. God has more for you. God has a blessing. God wants to bless you in abundance. 
<clears throat> and so we have to work with the Lord in relation to this. That's why God has given us his spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells us. The Holy Spirit empowers us. The Holy Spirit teaches us. The Holy Spirit guides us. The Holy Spirit fills us. The Holy Spirit gives you everything you need. Every provision. There is no, the, 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 the word impossible is not in God's vocabulary. You say, you don't understand. No, I understand God. I might not understand fully you or your circumstances, but I understand God and I understand His ways. I understand His will. I understand His power. And that's the most important thing. In Acts chapter 5, verse 32, there's an interesting scripture that says, uh, and we are witness, his witnesses to these things and so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. To those who obey him. So there is an issue of obedience but even that obedience is something that God enables us to, to do. So maybe there are, we are at a crisis in life. We will get there. I've been there. What I'm preaching to you this morning is not just some academic concept that I can see in the Bible. I'm telling you, I've lived this. I have had to endure God's dealings with me. I've had to pass through wilderness experiences. I've been at Kadesh. I have even failed at Kadesh and God brought me back there again and I had to learn some of those lessons. But I tell you, the moment I said, yes, Lord, the moment that I yielded to God, the moment I spoke that word, I tell you, my circumstances were changed in an instant. An instant. You see, that's what we can't grasp sometimes. There is a miracle dimension to this. When God changes us, we're always looking to the God to change the other person and yes, in his plan and his purpose he will but you see, God wants to change us this morning and it's in that when God has his way in us that the dynamic changes. But you see, and I'll say it again, out of my, my, my most uh, hardest trials that the Lord has brought me through have come the most blessed experiences that I refer back to, landmark moments in my Christian life where I thank God. Oh, I went through a trial. It was tough. I was crying out to God. I, it wasn't, I wasn't a happy man. But I tell you, when, when, I, when the Lord broke through, when I yielded to God, when I surrendered, when I spoke the words that God wanted me to speak, when I did what God wanted me to do, something happened that changed the course and the circumstances immediately. Praise the Lord. You see, but as I said to you earlier, I've seen and I've also witnessed those that have not, that failed at Kadesh Barnea over and over and I've seen many become defiled and bitter. And that's why Hebrews 12 talks about this, doesn't it? That the root of bitterness by which many become defiled and it's that defilement that is so sad to see in Christians who have known the Lord, that have walked with God and yet they're in such a bitter and defiled place in their spiritual walk with God. And you think, how did that happen? And yes, there may have been some, some legitimate circumstances, no questions asked, absolutely. 
But you see, even through all the experiences that God allows in our lives, God, the Bible says, guard your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. And when, when roots of bitterness get in there, it defiles a person. It makes them everything that God doesn't want them to be. It's nothing. And so you have those that are, in the, as I said to you before, dwelling in the wilderness. But you see, God wants us to be filled full this morning. He wants us to be complete. He wants us to be perfect. And I pray that God has opened your eyes even again to some things. I pray the Spirit of God is ministering to us as an assembly in in various ways because it has all different applications, what I'm talking about, to every individual. But I want to ask you this question as I conclude. Maybe it's time to stop wandering, wandering in the desert. Maybe it's time to stop rebelling against the Lord. Maybe it's time to stop disobeying God and maybe it's the time to surrender to God and say, yes, Lord, I'm going to believe you, I'm going to trust you. Because the Bible says, today, if you hear his voice, Hebrews chapter 3, today and 4, Hebrews 3 and 4, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness. You see? It's the Kadesh Baniya moment. But rather, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day where the Lord wants to set you free. Today is the day you can enter the promised land. You can walk out of this church, amen, and you can have a spring in your step. You can be full of the Holy Ghost and you can be rejoicing in God. That's how the gospel works. God bless you this morning. Well, let's just take some time to ponder and just to pray as we come before the Lord. Hallelujah. Father, we just bless the wonderful name of Jesus. God, as we are here, as we gathered as your people, Lord, I trust, God, that you are speaking to individual hearts. Trust, Lord, and know that you are ministering to lives. And I'm praying, oh God, that you would bring healing and you would bring wholeness. And Lord, it may be, God, that some of us are at Kadesh, Thank God for those that are in the promised land and I rejoice, oh God. But those that may not be, Lord, those that are in defeat and discouragement, God, this is not the place that you would have us. This is not the place that you would have us. This is the wilderness, Lord. I pray that you would bring us into the promised land and that we would say, yes, Lord, I'm going to believe your word. I'm going to, God, trust you. I'm going to obey your word. I'm going to surrender all and do as you have told me to do, knowing, God, that in doing that you will bring abundant blessing and provision. Blessed be your name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you. Let's have a time of fellowship.